we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is At The Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to At The Core with Walker Wildman and Rick Green. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach and your host on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So thanks for joining us on this Thursday afternoon. The phone number, if you would like to participate today, is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And as always, we'll take your comments, questions, insults, whatever you got. We'd love to have you participate in the program. Okay, so when we say At The Core, we talk, we're talking core fundamental issues. What are the principles that make a good nation? What are the principles that make a bad nation? In other words, there's an input that gives a good output. There's garbage in, garbage out, good stuff in, good stuff out. It's up to us. So what are the the, the, the kind of secret sauce ingredients? I, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I am a master, a master at making really good nachos. Okay, I'm just saying. I know that you're thinking, what does that have to do with any of this? Because I know the ingredients. I got the secret sauce. I know just how many black olives to put in there, you know, how, how much of that little green hatch chili to put in there. I know, you know all, all, all the stuff that makes, at least for me, they're the perfect nachos on the planet by the time they come out, okay? It takes a formula. It takes a secret sauce to put the right stuff in. If I put the wrong stuff in, those nachos aren't going to taste so good. Same thing for a nation, all right? You put the bad stuff in, you get bad stuff out. If you don't have the core fundamental concepts of liberty to sow into your children and into yourself and into the neighborhood and into the education system and into the government, then you don't get the good stuff out. You don't. You know, America is the most powerful, most free, most benevolent nation in the history of mankind. So those outputs, something caused that. There was a cause for the effect. There was a formula that produced that. So that's what we mean when we talk about core fundamental issues. That's why we call this at the core. We're going to those core fundamental issues that will make us a great nation once again. And, of course, as we know, if you listen to the program at all, all of those good stuff in, all of that good stuff in stuff comes from the Bible. So, so we know that it's biblical principles of liberty that produce a good society. That's why our founding fathers quoted the Bible more than anything else. 34% of their quotes were from the Bible. So, yeah, they were absolutely quoting Montesquieu and Locke and Blackstone, the three most often cited individuals, but they didn't quote them near as much as they quoted the Bible itself. Why? Because the Bible has the answers for everything in our life. Number one thing you can do if you want to save America, if you want to save liberty, if you want to restore this stuff, is be in God's Word. Read the Bible every day, and you will be a part of the solution. I can promise you, promise you that. So core issues, things that we need to look at, and, and, and I think uh, you know part of uh, identifying not only the good stuff you need to put in, you have to identify what's the bad stuff that will make it fall apart. And one of the problems I think we have to identify, and we have to admit, and sometimes we have to admit that, that our side is sometimes pretty bad about this, one of the inputs that is poisonous to the culture is the idea that somehow, some way, there's some smoke-filled room somewhere with these powerful people that are controlling everything, and we can do nothing about it. Because as soon as you buy into one of these theories that that kind of thing is happening, it disempowers you. It, it, it's an excuse to do nothing. It, it makes us uh, depressed. It, may, it makes us just curl up in the fetal position and give up. And so if, if you have, and, and they use the term, I don't even like using the term because it's been so misapplied over the last three years. We, you know, conspiracy theory is the phrase, right? 
if you buy into conspiracy theories that are actually nothing more than theories, they're made up, then you disempower yourself. Now, they've used that phrase and they've applied that to anybody that questioned an election in the last three years. Now, if you question an election five years ago, totally fine. Like, you're, you're smart, you're reasonable, you're Hillary Clinton, you're, you know, uh, you, can, you could question an election as long as it's an election that a Republican won. But if you question an election that a Democrat won, then you are an absolute radical QAnon conspiracy theorist. Uh, that that that's a misapplication in my opinion, uh, but but it's it's the, it's what unfortunately has been the narrative for the last couple of years. If you questioned the vaccine, if you questioned uh, the the COVID narrative, if you questioned the COVID crackdowns, you were a conspiracy theorist. So they've been really good. They meaning the left, meaning the people in media, the people that believe in leftist philosophy and that want America to no longer be a free nation, but to be a literally a, a, a social the socialist states of America, as Dinesh D'Souza would say. Um, they did a really good job. They're great at marketing. They did a really good job of making you feel like or look like or sound like a nutcase, a crazy conspiracy theorist, if you questioned anything that they were doing. So I hesitate to say conspiracy theory because of that, but we have to define our terms and we have to we have to you know uh, get to the meat of this and figure out what the, these core things are. What I'm after is keeping you from giving up, keeping you from buying into a false narrative, fake news, as someone might say, um, and 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 actual conspiracy theories that are based in uh, complete nonsense and not based on fact and not based on reality. I want to keep I want to encourage you not to buy into those things and then give up on your ability as a citizen to impact what's happening in your neighborhood, your community, your state and our and our nation. And and so once in a while I'm going to spend a little bit of our program debunking some of those crazy conspiracy theories or sometimes just crazy false hope things, right? So for instance, you know, I was I was the Debbie Downer that that, that was pouring cold water on the whole uh, you know, a case from a, a couple of weeks ago that went to, you know, supposedly went to the Supreme Court. It was really distributed for conference, but they never actually heard the case um, that was going to fire half of the, you know, three fourths of Congress and, and get rid of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all that. And, and it was this Brunson case out of Utah. And I was saying from the beginning, this is not going anywhere. It's false hope, even though they've got some good stuff in their arguments. Their remedy's ridiculous. This is not going to happen. Um, so I, I, I hate to be, I'm usually the optimist. I'm usually the one that's cheering everybody up and encouraging everybody and doing inspir. I love doing inspirational speeches. I prefer telling inspirational stories, but those don't work and they don't move people to action and they don't inspire and they don't have real weight. If we also buy into every story that comes along and every, you know, um, uh, false hope thing that comes along. So we have to be rational, logical, discerning. Uh, That's probably the most important word here. We have to have discernment if we want to actually save liberty in this country. So anyway, I poured cold water on the false hope thing of the Brunson case. Today, I want to just quickly, hopefully answer the question of is America a corporation that was formed in 1871 that got rid of the constitution and is ne- and now has America under some foreign control some say in the city of London or somewhere else and that 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 we are all property we united states citizens are property of a corporation centered in Washington DC okay this this 1871 the act of 1871 the organic law of 18 all of these 
uh, huge on social media. I mean, and I'm not talking about just, you know, the left would say in QAnon circles. No, I'm, t- I'm, I'm talking about I'm, I, it's it, everybody listening has probably heard this this act of 1871. Are we an, are we a, a corporation now instead of a con- under a constitution and all this stuff? So let me just answer it as quickly as I can, because I don't I don't want to spend too much time on this. The answer is no. We did not become a corporation. We did not get rid of the Constitution in 1871. We are not property of a corporation. Uh, we're not. That is not, you know, in the United States, while there are definitely smoke-filled rooms, and there are definitely people that want to control America. There are definitely power brokers in the swamp of Washington, D.C. All of that stuff is real. There are people that try to control you and try to control our agencies, and sometimes they take them over. And right now they have control. Farm, big Pharma has control of our major regulatory agencies. We even saw the evidence in the Project Veritas video to that effect. So all of that, yes, that, that's a real topic, and maybe we'll get into the, a little bit more of that later in the program. But we are not a, a corporation instead of a constitutional republic. The Act of 1871 had nothing to do with the rest of the United States. So if, if you've been through one of our Constitution classes, which I highly recommend, constitutioncoach.com is where you can sign up, or patriotacademy.com. If you've been through one of our Constitution classes, you know that in Article 1, Section 8, the Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, it's not named that in the, in the Constitution originally, it was just a, an area, um, was set aside in order to be the seat of federal government. The concept here by the Founding Fathers was that you don't want the seat of federal government to be in a state are part of a state, or be its own state. You want it to be a special area that's different. And it's different because if it was in a state, you would have both conflict between the federal government and that state. You would have favors for that state that other states didn't get. Just all kinds of problems. So they came up with this great idea to set aside the District of Columbia and say this area, this you know, uh, 10 miles square, 10 square miles, I always get it backwards when I say it. Anyway, um, is is a special area that is not a state and should never be a state. Now, there are Democrats in Washington, D.C. trying to make it a state. You, all, you hear about these arguments for D.C. statehood. Only That's all politics. All these people care about is they want to be able to have two more United States senators that are Democrats. That's what they want, okay, and, and that's what they're after. And, uh, and, and it doesn't have anything to do with giving representation to the people of D.C. It has everything to do with control, absolutely having control. Okay, so the Constitution says D.C. should not be a state. We should we should work against those efforts to make D.C. a state. Keep it a special place. It shouldn't be growing so big. The reason it's growing so big is because the federal government is growing too big, which was happening in the first hundred years of the country. And so you had these organic laws that Congress would pass trying to figure out how to deal with D.C., how do you govern D.C. And so in 1871, uh, it was basically an incorporation of the city of DC, of Washington DC. Now that term should mean something. Most of you have probably heard that, you know, your city is incorporated or that you live in an unincorporated area of the county, meaning it's not a city, it's only in in in, in county area. That's all this was. It was incorporating DC and and defining how D.C. was going to be governed. It was actually overturned just three or four years later. So we've always had this back and forth of how D.C. is going to be uh, is going to be handled. But my point today is that it had nothing to do with the rest of the country. It had nothing to do with making America a constitution. That is so crazy. That is literally made up by these people that want to distract you from doing the actual blocking and tackling and hard work of saving a country actually working on a school board race or getting a good legislator elected or going and testifying at your state legislature for school choice right now, which is a very important thing to do, or whatever the particular issue might be. They want to distract you from all that and make you think 
It's all out of your hands. There's some smoke-filled room in London controlling America now because of the Act of 1871. So absolutely false. That is not what happened in 1871. Now, the confusion comes from terminology. First of all, just from the terminology of incorporating, uh, uh, incorporation, but hopefully that makes sense now. Think about it as incorporating a city. And secondly, the term, the term federal corporation. That's nothing more than essentially an agency. We have about, I don't know, 15 or 20, way too many, um, corporations that are federally owned. They're basically subsidiaries. They're like an agency. The one you would be most familiar with is, think about every time you go into your bank, you see the FDIC sticker. Well, that's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Okay, that's protecting up to $100,000 of your money in each account that you have. So FDIC is a corporation that is owned by the federal government. Same thing with the financing corporation, the government national mortgage corporation, the commodity credit corporation, the export import bank, the pension benefit guarantee corporation, the Tennessee Valley Authority, the U.S. postal system. I mean, these are all essentially agencies that have been incorporated. That doesn't mean that some foreign entity owns them. They're run by Congress. They're accountable to Congress. If Congress does their job, I am not making an argument that they're constitutional. I think most of these corporations, just like most other agencies and departments, of the federal government are absolutely unconstitutional. They're absolutely outside the specific uh, authorization in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution for what the federal government can do. However, they are not what they have been made out to be with this whole Organic Act of 1871 uh, nonsense that is out there that disempowers people. I hope all of that makes sense, folks. I- I- I'm sorry for going so far down that rabbit hole, but I know many have that question. Um, th- th- there's so many... Uh, people that have pushed this forward and shared this thinking that they were doing a good thing, but it's it's not. This is the, There's nothing to this. It's fine to ask the question. I, I always open all my Constitution classes saying, hey, ask questions. I don't have all the answers. You're going to stump me in this class. So call in with questions, stump me, and we'll go get the answer. We'll go do the homework. So it's, there's nothing wrong with asking these questions or bringing it up, but let's make sure that we're using common sense, that we're using logic, that we're doing our homework, and that we're basing it on the facts. Okay, if you've got a thought or comment or question or insult or whatever on that or any other subject, the phone number is 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. We're going to hit all of these core issues. We want to equip and inspire you and educate you and give you the ability to restore our constitutional republic right there in your community. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. Stay with us. You're listening to At the Core with Walker Wobman and Rick Green. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. My name is Abraham Hamilton III and this is the Hamilton Minute. The U.S. Supreme Court issued a statement announcing the marshal of the Supreme Court and her staff have not identified who leaked the draft of the Dobbs opinion that later overturned Roe versus Wade. The statement said the marshal's team had been unable to identify a suspect by a preponderance of the evidence. All that is legally required, however, to identify and arrest the criminal suspect is probable cause. Preponderance of the evidence can only be determined by a judge or jury in a courtroom. This smacks of a cover-up. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III. 
public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Raising an independent, curious, and competent girl can be a challenge if you feel like you're doing it alone. In the age of the internet, learning basic facts is just a click away. But for kids who tend to learn in a very tactile way, how can you expect to really foster new skills and passions? Consider finding hands-on learning opportunities for your girl, like an American Heritage Girls troupe or an immersive experience at a local museum. Learning new life skills and discovering new passions helps a girl discover who God created her to be. When a girl begins to recognize the gifts and talents God gave her for things like sewing, astronomy, or archery, she can see other aspects of her life through this same God-honoring lens. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Hello, everyone. An update on our uh, spiritual heritage tours this year in June and September of Washington, D.C. President Joe Biden has agreed to lead our group in a uh, scavenger hunt for classified materials. And so that's a new part of our itinerary that we didn't expect. But, uh, hey, when the President of the United States offers to take on a scavenger hunt, you do it. So we'll be doing that as well as going to all the sites in Washington, D.C., the Capitol, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, the Arlington National Cemetery. And then for those of you who want to go to Colonial Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown, we'll be doing that as well in September. So all these trips and these tours, the information is available at spiritualheritagetours.com. SpiritualHeritageTours.com. Check it out June and September. At the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Now back to At the Core on American Family Radio. We're back here on At the Core with Walker Wildman and Rick Green. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution coach. Thrilled to be with you this afternoon and would love for you to participate in the program as well. The phone number to call, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. First segment, we were debunking the myth of the corporation of uh, 1871, and we're all uh, subjects and uh, property of some strange corporation being held by some folks in London or whatever else they, they say about that. Um, definitely nothing to it, and uh, and hopefully we answered that in the first segment. We can come back to it if anybody has a question they want to call in with. A couple of headlines I want to share. I'm excited about this. Governor Sarah Huckabee is uh, is going to uh, – Sarah Huckabee Sanders is going to deliver the Republican response to Biden's State of the Union. Now, I am not excited about Biden's State of the Union. Uh, it'll be impressive what they can drug him up with to get him through that speech, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think she's a good choice. I really do. I think this could be really, really interesting – um, you know, she's uh, she's actually spoken at Patriot Academy before at our at our summer uh, leadership congress. Um, um, uh, I think she was a fantastic press secretary. She's obviously you know uh, well spoken, and she has impressed me in these first couple of weeks of her uh, governorship. Is that the right term? At any rate, her her term as governor of Arkansas. Now, listen, I I am from Arkansas. I know I know I always talk about Texas, and I am I'm an American by birth and a Texan only by the grace of God. Moved to Texas when I was nine, convinced my parents it's the only place on earth uh, that we could go. Anyway, so uh, I am a, a, a Texan now, but for the first nine years of my life, 
I lived in Arkansas. So that's why every time somebody calls in from Arkansas on the show, I say, Go Hogs Go. I actually had Go Hogs Go on my drapes in my room in Texas when I was a kid, which, you know, uh, of course made me learn how to fight. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, all right. Anyway, Sarah Huckabee doing fantastic, man. She is pushing for school choice in Arkansas. She has uh, said, you know, no more, you know, not any mandates, because remember, Asa Hutchinson was awful in Arkansas. He was as bad as Greg Abbott in Texas. They were they were part of the Republican, you know, cabal that that followed the Democrat, you know, Newsom and and others uh, off the cliff with the with the covid crackdowns. And, and, and Asa Hutchinson was just terrible on that stuff. Terrible on. I mean, they had to drag him across the finish line on the, you know, trying to stop the transgender stuff. And anyway, he was just a huge disappointment. Well, she has come in and and just reversed course on all of that she is hitting the ground running i mean very aggressive and unapologetic so i'm impressed i think uh, this could be a really good choice for the response so it's supposed to be next tuesday night february 7th i'm not suggesting you waste your evening uh listening to joe biden but you might tune in for um sarah's response uh, Go- i'm sorry governor sanders response and, uh, and if not, then just make sure you're listening to At The Core Wednesday afternoon. I'm sure Walker's going to have something to say about it. And then on Thursday next week, I'll probably have something to say about it. But really good choice. I think that's, uh, that's a good piece of news. Another piece of good news, Baylor has dismissed its lawsuit against Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, if you listen to the program regularly, you know I'm a big fan of this guy, you know, most published um, in, in his field, like 600 uh, articles and, and just an, an absolute expert uh, and was shunned canceled because he questioned the COVID narrative and because he was one of the first ones to come out and, and speak against the, the lockstep stuff that was happening, lost his credentials. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, apparently, according to the Epic Times, a judge has dismissed um, a lawsuit brought by uh, Baylor. Let's see who else. It was like two other people joined them. Baylor, Scott and White uh, against Dr. McCullough. And uh, it's been absolutely dismissed. So that's good, good, good stuff. I like seeing that sort of thing. And I, you know, I said on Tuesday, I think the narrative's changing. I think the good news is starting to pile up here because more and more of this stuff is coming out. More and more, we're finding out that you know, um, even people in the medical community are standing up and saying we got it wrong. I've read that article on Tuesday by Kevin Bass and in Newsweek. So all of these, li- they seem like little things, but there's an avalanche coming. I really think that. I mean, it's. Uh, it's it's good to see this this happening. Maybe maybe finally truth will will win out and we can actually have some real debate on these issues. So good stuff and also good stuff in Congress. I, I'm 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 watching a lot of these bills that are being filed, uh, things that are being debated. Impeachment of Mayorkas uh, for the horrible job that he's done, and and not just a horrible job. He's he's damaged the United States of America. He's he's allowed the border to be porous and 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 allowed you know six million people to come across illegally under his watch when he's supposed to be, I mean, one of the few things I mentioned earlier, you know, we got all these agencies and things the federal government's doing that it's not supposed to be doing. One of the few things it's supposed to do is protect our border. It's supposed to prevent illegal immigration and make sure we have a a legal system for immigration. I'm pro-immigration, believe me. I think it ought to be a thousand times easier to get into America legally. I think our system is a mess so we need to fix that, and we need to make it easier to come in legally. We need to know who you are. We need to be able to know who you're coming in to work for. We need to know how long you're going to be here. We need to be able to kick you out if you overstay what you were supposed to be here for. If we do all those things, immigration's healthy. It's good. It helps everybody. But if you make it easier to get in illegally than to get in legally, 
what are people going to do? Path of least resistance, right? And so that's what Mayorkas has done. He's been a complete failure. And, of course, Joe Biden has has endorsed that and led the way on that, as has Kamala Harris. Um, so, you know, perhaps impeachment is in order for them as well. But my point is, uh, listen, these uh, th- th- this impeachment of Mayorkas is a good step, positive step forward, at least brings attention to the disaster at the border and hopefully uh, will improve things there. Next piece of news I wanted to go to was, uh, you know, did DeSantis sign a law allowing for forced vaccinations? Apparently that's what Donald Trump has, has tweeted out and claimed. Um, listen, I, I don't. I don't really want to weigh in uh, on the DeSantis-Trump spat that's going on. It's really a Trump spat towards DeSantis. DeSantis is not responding most of the time um, and probably the smart thing to do here. I, I, I wish this wasn't happening. It's kind of the nature of things. It's expected in a Republican primary. You've, you've got two alpha males here. You've got two leaders, two very strong leaders, I think two very good leaders that uh, that are likely going to be duking it out. For the next um, you know year and a half to decide which one will be the Republican nominee in 2024, and I, I personally think there's pros and cons to both. So I, I I will admit I'm conflicted here. I think I I like both these guys in terms of how they govern, and uh, and so I'm you know I'm going to support whichever one is the nominee, and I definitely think it will be one of these two. It's not going to be Nikki Haley or any of the you know the what's the oh man I, he's a horrible governor out of. Uh, um, a Republican governor in in Maryland. I'm blanking on his name, but he's been awful, and he's talking about running anyway. It's going to be Trump or DeSantis. I mean, I, I just I think there's a 99.9 percent chance of that, and and Trump obviously has the advantage here. I mean, he's he's of course winning in the in the, in the polls right now, but not not by as much as you would think. You remember initially when we would poll this a year ago, it was 90 percent of Republicans were Donald Trump, and you know seven or eight percent Ron DeSantis, and then the the rest was spread out among all these other Republicans. I think the latest one I've seen is like 60 percent for Trump, 30 or you know 35 percent for DeSantis, and then the rest spread out uh, for for these others. So it is it is going to be a real race, assuming DeSantis decides to do it, which I think all indications are that uh, that that he will. Uh, but back to the point at hand: the the uh, the attack by Trump on DeSantis that he somehow let's see how did he say it something to the effect of that he signed a law allowing for forced vaccinations. Well. Let's again, just like I said Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Maybe it was last week. Uh, you know, not. I don't pull punches. I mean, like, Ron DeSantis, like almost every other governor in the country other than Kristi Noem, got it wrong on COVID initially, dead wrong. Did 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 lockdowns? Did all the 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 goofy stuff that never should have been done by any governor, and uh, and and it was bad. But he admitted it. He apologized for it, and he reversed course faster than anyone else in the country and then led the charge against the medical industrial complex and against the government overtake and against the federal government. So he has been fantastic after he got it right, fully admit he got it wrong initially, and so did Donald Trump. So they both got it wrong. Christy Nome is the only one that can go give a speech right now and say, I never shut down anything. I never encouraged a shutdown of anything. I let everyone make their own decisions, and I ordered my uh, government, the people that I had you know, um, influence over in the, in the state of uh, South Dakota, to not do any of that. She's the only one that I know of that can say that. Donald Trump was wrong on COVID. 
uh, by pushing Fauci and Burks forward and letting them essentially make policy for the White House. He was wrong for doing the 15 days to slow the spread. Now, granted, he did not issue any federal mandates on this stuff, so that he was right about. He understood the proper jurisdictions of government, and he kept the federal government from controlling everything like Joe Biden. As soon as he came in, man, it was tyranny from the top down. At least Donald Trump didn't do that, right? At least he stayed constitutional on it, and he was definitely caught, folks. I'm telling you, he was in a no-win situation. I mean, they were going to blame every, and they did blame every death in America on Donald Trump, no matter what he did. So I think he would have been better off standing up against lockdowns. He did quickly understand, just like Ron DeSantis, he did quickly understand this is destroying the economy, it's destroying businesses, it's destroying lives. We need to get this thing open as quick as possible. And every time he talked about that, it was, oh, you're killing grandma and all the other lies that they came out with to try to intimidate him. So um, short story is Trump and DeSantis both got it wrong in the beginning. But Trump and DeSantis both got it right fairly quickly and started saying, Those things are not going to help. Shutting down governments are not going to help. Closing the schools is not going to help. Both of them are data guys. They were willing to look at the data and say, wait a minute, and both of them have pretty good instincts when they get the right information, um, then they move the right direction. So I think this is going to be a draw between these two guys on the issue of lockdowns and forced vaccinations and all that kind of stuff. I think where DeSantis wins is the fact that Trump kept championing the vaccination and still does today right he still brags about warp speed which in my opinion was an end run around what were supposed to be the very protections against this thing being forced on people without good science and we now know pfizer lied all these people lied they the fraud that was committed here there's going to be all kinds of lawsuits for years and years and years to come for the damage of what was done to people so i i'm very um neutral i guess on the Trump DeSantis spat on who was least lockdown oriented, who was more pro liberty, because they both got it wrong initially. They both figured it out and they both became champions of opening up and doing those things later on. And I think it will be a draw on that. I don't think it's going to be a draw on the vaccination. Now, I will say uh, DeSantis definitely pushed the vaccinations, right? He, he pushed with the, his power as, as governor of Florida for everybody to get vaccinated, made it, but he didn't push mandates. He just pushed, here it is if you want it. And so he was a champion of it like Trump was in terms of of pushing it as a solution and 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 uh, and not so much pushing the other treatments. However, DeSantis did do a good job of I know I'm going back and forth here, but I'm literally just thinking through this with you. Um, He did do a good job of pushing the monoclonal antibodies and and saying there are other treatments out there and you should get them. He did not. I don't remember him being a champion of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and all that. And of course, Trump figured out early on if he said something was good, they would demonize it. So he stopped doing that, um, even though his instinct was to do so. And I think, I think, I think should have. I think the fact that we didn't let people get make an informed decision on ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and all these other treatments, it cost lives. It killed hundreds of thousands of people. That was government doing that. It was, it was, it was Fauci and Burks and their narrative that killed a lot of people, and they need to be held accountable for it, and hopefully this Republican Congress will do exactly that. Okay, I've been pontificating long enough on that. We only got a couple of minutes before we're headed to break again. Phone number's 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. I'll try to catch a quick call here before we head to break. This is Jerry in College Station. Jerry, thanks for calling in, man. Sorry I took so long to get to you. Go for it. What's your comment or question? It's all good, brother. 
hey, as a as a Constitution coach myself, I I referred to to uh, Brother Bishop, and he answered my question. So my fifth grade daughter that goes to a private school gets a question on a test that she's reviewing for that says we have a form of government that's a representative democracy. Now I know from taking classes and being a Constitution coach, we are a constitutional republic. Now Brother Bishop hooked me up with that information. But he said that you can find it in the Federalist Papers. Well, I have the Federalist Papers book, but I would like to know if you know of reference to kind of help me hone in because I'm emailing the teacher and the principal for teaching my daughter something wrong. That's like telling my daughter that Christ wasn't present when the world was created. And if I'm going to teach my daughter that, and I'm not going to teach her anything wrong, I'm not going to teach her we're a, a representative democracy either. Yeah. Yeah, so we, you know, and of course, as you know, as a coach, we, we, we cover this a lot in our Constitution classes and emphasize that we're a constitutional republic because it's important to talk about the fact that we're a constitutional republic. That's a different form of government than a democracy. A democracy the founding fathers did not like. They, they hated it. They called it mobocracy, that it always ends in, in violence. And so even when you call it a representative democracy, it's still mislabeling it. Now, some of this is semantics in terms of what they mean. So that teacher probably means constitutional problem, probably would go and explain. She would probably describe a representative democracy the same way you and I would describe a constitutional republic. The problem is that she's wrong. The term is wrong. Now, it would be sweet when you when you write this thing to her. I would be nice. Don't you know, don't don't hit her over the head with it. She's been taught that probably the textbook probably says that I, I bet you the book for class says that we're a representative democracy or we're just a democracy. Um, so no doubt about it, we are a constitutional republic. In fact, our, I think it's Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution actually guarantees that we'll be a republic and not a democracy. And so that's one place I, I, I can point you to. Uh, I'll, I'll look up uh, some specific references for you in the Federalist Papers. I know there's a lot of discussion throughout those. There's 80-something of them, so I, I, gotta, I, I, I can't remember. I want to say Federalist 78 has some in there about that. But anyway, I'll, I'll verify that and get you some of those uh, I think it's a great question. And, folks, it's important. We need to know. What's the difference? The difference is the democracy is just everybody doing whatever feels, you know, what they vote on at the time. It's the, it's the old, you know, Ben Franklin quip about, you know, two wolves and a lamb voting, a democracy voting on what's for lunch. Whereas a constitutional republic is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. <laughs> so what does that mean? It's referring to a, a constitution protecting the, the God-given right, not Constitution-given right, but the God-given right to keep and bear arms, to defend yourself, to have a voice, all of those things. So being a constitutional republic is very important, and it means that even our representatives, if we were just a representative democracy, then your representative just does whatever they think is right. No. A representative is still limited by the Constitution, limited in their authority and their jurisdiction by what the Constitution says. So that's why it's so important to be a constitutional republic because it because it puts it in stone it limits government to specific things and we the people get to decide that but there's a constitutional process for how that works really really good question appreciate you calling in with that question we're going to take a quick break if you got a question call in at 888-589-8840 888-589-8840 i'm rick green america's constitution coach and you are listening to at the core What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation 
Thank you for standing with us. Ever hear the words variants or gain of function in regard to the Chinese COVID virus? Now one vaccine company spokesperson has admitted that they're also developing COVID variants to sell more vaccines. I'm Sam Rohr, host of Stand in the Gap Weekend, heard Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. Join me and Dr. Lee Vliet of Truth for Health Foundation as we engage a matter of serious health interest that I'm entitling Driving the Variant Ruse. Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. In a world where no one can tell us no. To this day, every human being born on this planet is the product of a male and a female. That's the way God set it up. God created us in his image. A place where Facebook and YouTube have no control. I think the command in Scripture relative to men and women is not mainly women sit down, but men stand up, act like men, lead as you're supposed to. A place where we can no longer be canceled. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks. And if you understand that rightly, then everything else simply falls into place. The American Family Association presents the AFA streaming platform. Just visit streaming.afa.net for the latest films, documentaries, and AFA original productions. You'll even find videos from some of your favorite talk shows. All you have to do is create a free account at streaming.afa.net. Hi, I'm John Sorensen, president of Evangelism Explosion, and this is Share Life Today on American Family Radio. Why do we share the gospel? Well, the simplest answer is because Jesus told us to. After he showed himself to the disciples and many others after his resurrection, he left them with the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Christ gave every follower of his a purpose before ascending into heaven. He called us to go and to tell people the good news of the gospel. And through people coming to know him, Christians are formed and begin to grow in their faith. What a privilege and a calling that we have. And the best news is we don't have to do it alone. Jesus himself will be with us always. So the question is, are we going and sharing? If not, find resources to help you share the gospel at sharelife.today. That's sharelife.today. This is At The Core on American Family Radio with your host, Walker Wildman. Welcome back to AFA. Welcome back to At The Core with Walker Wildman and Rick Green on American Family Radio. Thanks to American Family Association for giving me the opportunity to host on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. Uh, by the way, a uh, question on the, in the last segment about Federalist Papers, Constitutional Republic. I'm going to give you two quick resources over the air here. Uh, first of all, the Avalon Project um, actually has a ton of original writings up on their website. Yale did this, uh, and, and so if you just Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever your search engine is, um, Avalon Project Federalist Papers. You can read through any of the Federalist Papers. I don't actually have each of the Federalist Papers and their content posed, but they're everywhere. You can see those everywhere. I'll give you another source in terms of commentary on the Federalist Papers. Morgan Zeggers has a fantastic podcast on this. It's fun to listen to, and they go through the Federalist Papers and kind of, you know, in, in layman's terms, discuss what each of these Federalist Papers is about. And so you can either look her up, Morgan Zegers, Z-E-G-E-R-S. Um, she calls the podcast Freedom Papers with Morgan Zegers. Turning Point USA is the one that uh, produced this this series. And uh, and Morgan's fantastic. She came to 
Patriot Academy this summer and spoke a couple of times to the students. She's young. She's in her 20s. She's sharp. She's a, a true young conservative, constitutionalist, Christian, solid. I mean, I was blown away by her, honestly. She's way wisdom, way, way, way beyond her years, and uh, just thrilled that we got the team up with her. We're going to get her back and, and do a lot more. Uh, in fact, that might make a fun program. We'll try to get her on uh, here at the core to talk about her her series and why it was important to go through the Federalist Papers to really learn how is our government supposed to work. And by the way, for those of you that are going, what is the what are the Federalist Papers? So this was essentially um, a sales salesmanship of the Constitution to New York. So that these were a series of papers written by uh, Hamilton and Jay and Madison. That, that where they were basically saying, here's how this is going to work. Here's how that's going to work. I call it the instruction manual for the Constitution because it's the most thorough write-up on how each clause of the Constitution will work and, 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 and coming from people that gave us the Constitution saying, here's how these things will actually operate um, and, and, and you know breaking down everything from how the presidency works to the courts to, to specific agencies. I mean, all of that good stuff. So that's what the Federalist Papers are. I will be honest. It's hard slogging. It's hard getting through them. They're, they're, it's that you know. It, it's it's. I mean, we're just not we're not educated as well as they were back then. And David Barton loves to remind me when I complain about how hard it is to read the Federalist Papers. He says, "Well, Rick, you know they were written for the average upstate New York farmer, so I can see why you're having trouble with your law degree understanding." The Federalist Papers, and uh, then I stop complaining and work harder at understanding the Federalist Papers. So, anyway, good stuff in there. Encourage you to check it out. Okay, let's go to Bob in Ohio. Bob in Ohio is next up, and if you want to call in and join us, the phone number is eight 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 five eight nine eight eight four zero. Bob, go for it. Okay, I'm trying to figure out what you think about uh, the. Uh, uh, the governor of Florida, DeSantis, and uh, yeah, and uh, and Trump, Trump being the president, and Santos being the, the vice president, and then when his term's up, Santos goes for president. In and I love it. I, I mean, I have uh, I have daydreamed about this very scenario that you bring up, Bob. It's uh, it's a um, in my opinion, it would be the best scenario for the governing outcome that it would bring. I'm not saying it's the best ticket to win the election, but it would be the best scenario in terms of governing for turning America around and bringing us back to being a constitutional republic with limited jurisdictions and good public policy, being energy independent, all of those things. And here's why I think it would be the best ticket, because Trump is a bull in the china closet. And I think we need the bull in the china closet a little more. I don't think we've had enough of that with his, just his first four years. And he will absolutely scorched earth go after the enemies of American values and the American Constitution. He will clean house if he gets a second term. He will wipe out the leftist from all of these agencies at the Department of Justice where they're using the FBI as, a, as a, uh, an, an armed force against political enemies. Uh, he'll clean house, and I think that's good. I think that's absolutely good. Um, now, DeSantis may do that. Uh, I think DeSantis will definitely be strong. But let, let, let's take the two scenarios. No Trump, and let, let, let's say DeSantis wins the primary. DeSantis is president immediately in 2025, January 2025. DeSantis is sworn in. He'll be fantastic. He, he, will, he could become the best president of my lifetime. He could become an even better president than Donald Trump was and Ronald Reagan and all the rest. He could. Based on how he has governed Florida, 
ever since he did shun the 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 covid crackdowns he could he could be absolutely amazing. He's been willing to stand up to the woke corporations, been willing to stand up to other politicians, been willing to stand up to the media, been willing to stand he's he's done everything that I could possibly ask him to do as governor of Florida pretty much. I mean, I'm sure I could think of something, but it's been unbelievable. I mean, it's like every day he wakes up and says, "Yeah, what kind of home run could I hit today?" I mean, it's phenomenal. However, he's not the bull in the china closet. He's not he's not scorched earth. He he's a little bit more measured than Donald Trump, which is good in terms of the election, right? He is I think far more electable as president in 2024 than Donald Trump from the standpoint of winning over the people in the middle and you just got to remember that's how elections are won. Okay, you have to embolden and energize your base, and then you have to win the people, enough people in the middle to win the election. Now, Donald Trump is better at emboldening and energizing the base. He is. There's no doubt about it. He comes into the fight with absolutely the largest, most motivated, most um, uh, dedicated supporters that we've ever seen in our lifetime, maybe in the history of the United States. So that's a huge advantage, but it. It kind of stops there because then you have to deal with the haters that hate Donald Trump, and they are massive. There's tons of them. And then you have to. Dr. Tony Evans says no matter how tough things get on the outside, God can give us peace on the inside if we learn to balance two important character traits. He'll tell us more about them as we spend two minutes with Tony. The Navy has ships and the Navy has submarines. Ships are on top of the water and therefore are subject to the weather. How much they rock and roll, how much they go back and forth, depends on how hard the wind is blowing, how hard the waves are moving. That determines how the ship is doing. However, submarines go deep in the water and are unaffected by the weather outside and on top of the water because they're going deep and because they go deep it doesn't change the weather but it changes how the weather affects them too many Christians are bouncing with the waves because they're like ships on the water rather than submarines going deep because they have married godliness with contentment the way God teaches you to learn contentment is to not allow you to have abundance for too long. He will let situations come into your life. You think you're on top of the world today? Boom! He does something that drops you low tomorrow to let you know that without me, you can't stay riding high all the time because he will keep you in a place of dependency to remind you, and get this, if you don't get the lesson the first time, he believes in retesting. Going deeper with God begins by having a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Find out today. Just visit TonyEvans.org. All right, everybody, Rick Green back with you. I apologize. Uh, If you're not uh, aware, we've had a major ice storm in the big city of Dripping Springs, actually all across uh, Texas and um, uh, it looks like I lost all power and internet there. So uh, dial, dialing in here to come back with you. I apologize for for that little mishap. But um, uh, what I was uh, what I was trying to get at, I'll try to summarize it, is that I love I love the caller's idea. I think it was Bob uh, of of a Trump DeSantis ticket that would be 
uh, DeSantis for, I mean, uh, Trump for four years for a second term and then DeSantis for eight years. I think that would be the best thing for the long-term health of America in terms of the way they would govern and what, and what that would look like. I don't think that's the best ticket for getting elected because Trump, while he has the best, strongest, largest, most motivated base of any politician in my lifetime and maybe in history, um, he, he definitely has the most haters as well. And the middle, the people in the middle, um, I just it's hard to win them over. They are not uh, they are not, you know, they just don't like his style. OK, so it's harder for him. That doesn't mean it can't be done. And I think if I were betting on it, it would be done that Donald Trump will be the nominee for Republicans and will win in 2024. I think that's the most likely scenario right now. Now, that will change if he doesn't stop this nonsense of attacking Ron DeSantis in childish ways. I think what he's doing right now and the things he's saying and the way he's saying it about DeSantis, it's the same thing he did with Ted Cruz and others uh, back in 2016, and he survived at that time. But this time, I don't think so. I think people are sick of that. I think DeSantis is too popular and has done too much too well and won over too many people for this to be a winning formula for President Trump. So I hope that he wakes up and whoever's advising him says, stop, stop doing this. You should be saying, look at all the great things Ron DeSantis did. He was able to do those things because of me. I'm the one that got him elected. I'm the one that, you know, came alongside him. I'm the one that, made, you know, do your Donald Trump thing and, 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 and take credit for all of it. But stop tearing him, DeSantis down and start building him up instead. If he does that, then Donald Trump will absolutely be the nominee, and it could be that DeSantis is, is the beep. Now, uh, I, I, having said all that, again, I'm not sure it's the best ticket because, you know, I don't know. I mean, look, let's just the elephant in the room. Everybody wants a, a, a you know, a, a mixed uh, ticket. They don't, they don't want two white males to be the ticket. I don't care about that stuff. I'm like, I don't care if you're white, brown, black, yellow, purple. I don't care if you're male or female. If you're the best candidate and you've got the best record, then I'm with you. I'm for you. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not how the world works right now. And there's no question that uh, that in terms of of a winning ticket, it would help if either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis as the nominee had Christy Nome, let's say, as the V. Or, in my opinion, the best candidate of my lifetime, Carrie Lake, as as the VP candidate. Now, that doesn't mean you do it because someone's a woman or they've the, got the right color skin or any of that kind of stuff. You basically look at, okay, is Carrie Lake as good as Ron DeSantis? Well, she's as good a candidate, an even better candidate than Ron DeSantis, but we don't have the track record, right? So we don't know. We haven't had her as a governor. If she wins this lawsuit and she gets to be governor of Arizona for a couple of years and show that she has the medal to do the things she said on the campaign trail she would do, then I think it's hard to argue there's anybody better than her to be vice president. And I, and I think she would, would exactly follow through on the things that she said. Um, so a lot hinges on that, on those lawsuits. And there's a reason Maricopa County did what they did. They knew that she would be absolutely um, unstoppable as a Republican on the national stage if she got to be governor of Arizona. So we'll see how that, that, that plays out. Now, that's a really, really long, convoluted answer to Bob's question. Um, but I do like a Trump DeSantis ticket. I love the idea of Trump. I love the idea of Trump being a four year, you know, getting four years to clean house, drain the swamp, and then Ron DeSantis come back in and rebuild and, and do what he does best, which is govern and create and, and manage that, that, uh, governmental system. He's really, really good at that. Look at what he's done in Florida. Look at how he's redirected the machine of government to be a positive. 
to, 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 to be pro-America, to, to get rid of critical race theory, to do all these things that he's doing. He's fantastic at that. So I'm all for four years of the bull in the China closet again, and then eight years of Ron DeSantis effectively governing the United States. Those 12 years, folks, could turn this country around. That's a, that's a half a generation, and that's what we need. They have had, my goodness, look at what they were able to do in eight years of, 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 of Barack Obama. I mean, they radically transformed this nation exactly as he said he would. And now with four years of, of Biden, oh, it's just been disastrous. And just the first two years, it's been disastrous. Look at how much damage they've done. So if you had 12 years of a Trump and DeSantis, whew, boy, howdy, hold on, folks. That, that, that could be huge. So we'll see what happens. Great question. Great idea. Um, I think a lot of people are thinking that could be the best ticket, but uh, that's what primaries are all about. We're, we're... And give us peace on the inside if we learn to balance two important character traits. He'll tell us more about them as we spend two minutes with Tony. The Navy has ships and the Navy has submarines. Ships are on top of the water and therefore are subject to the weather. How much they rock and roll, how much they go back and forth, depends on how hard the wind is blowing, how hard the waves are moving. That determines how the ship is doing. However, submarines go deep in the water and are unaffected by the weather outside and on top of the water because they're going deep and because they go deep, it doesn't change the weather, but it changes how the weather affects them. Too many Christians are bouncing with the waves because they're like ships on the water rather than submarines going deep because they have married godliness with contentment. The way God teaches you to learn contentment is to not allow you to have abundance for too long. He will let situations come into your life. You think you're on top of the world today? Boom! He does something that drops you low tomorrow to let you know that without me, you can't stay riding high all the time because he will keep you in a place of dependency to remind you. And get this, if you don't get the lesson the first time, he believes in retesting. Going deeper with God begins by having a personal relationship. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.